Welcome to A Public Affair here on KGNU. I'm your host, Shannon Young. One of Boulder's most iconic architectural landmarks, the Boulder Dushanbe Tea House, celebrates its 25th anniversary this month. The Museum of Boulder has an exhibit up to mark the occasion, and the Tea House itself will be organizing some special events. I recently stopped by the Tea House and the museum to find out a bit more about this community fixture and the history behind it. At the Tea House, I met up with Sarah Martinelli. Describe your relationship to this tea house, because it's not just the, the operator. No, my husband and I have been operating the business since its inception in 1998. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't, it's hard to describe really. When people ask us, we don't like to say we own the tea house because we obviously don't own the building, but we lease the building from the city of Boulder and we operate the restaurant here. So kind of the the restaurant and the tea company and all of that is our baby but the building is you know obviously the jewel of the people of Boulder. You're the guardians. Yes we often use the term we're the stewards but we'd like to keep it forever so. <laughs> well the tea house is celebrating its 25th anniversary. Mm -hmm. You've been here with this project since its inception. Walk us through a brief history. Okay. Um, well, the, the whole project started in 1983, um, in the heart of the Cold War. There were people in Boulder who were very concerned about the, that, that, the threat of nuclear war. And so they felt that a great idea would be to reach out people to people, sort of a grassroots effort, to meet some Soviet people. Because at that time, remember, no internet, you know, very, very much cultures in the world existed in their little pockets. It's hard for us to imagine that today. Um, but most people in America had never met a Russian person before in 1983. So they set out on a quest to find a sister city in somewhere in the Soviet Union that would they could create this human relationship with. Sister Cities International is an organization that's based in Washington, D.C., I believe. And it was founded by uh, President Roosevelt just for this purpose, to kind of get politics out of people relations and um, through sharing culture and language and, you know, creating these sort of bridges of friendships across cultures and maybe making the world a more peaceful place. So it was a very bouldery kind of thing to do, especially in the 80s, you know, to reach out to a Soviet city, but it was also somewhat controversial. There were a lot of people who felt that there, you know, it was very risky to be doing that, that, you know, we're reaching out to our enemies, we're opening a door for our enemies. Um, but so that project took, and just the whole, even getting the sister city took about a decade. And then, um, not quite a decade, I guess in 1988 is when they finally managed to get an official sister city relationship with Dushanbe, Tajikistan, which is now an independent republic, but at the time was part of the Soviet Union. And then in 1988, they said, we're gonna give you a tea house. And most people in Boulder kind of assumed that it would be, you know, like we, we kind of think of Japanese tea house, like that sort of small little gazebo type thing. Um, but in Central Asia, tea houses are really centrally located gathering points where people meet to do business, to hang out, to talk, just kind of like we would think of like, you know, 
the town bar in England, like the pub, you know, it's, it's that same sort of idea where communities come together and gather together. And so they, then that became a, you know, big controversial thing. Do we accept it? Do we not accept it? And finally they agreed to accept it. And then the next step was how are we going to pay for it? There's a whole drama behind that. And then where are we going to put it? There's a whole drama behind that. But finally in 1998, they, the city, um, had come to the conclusion that it would be on this location and that they would pay for it and that the operators would then pay back the construction costs. And so they put it out to bid to the people of Boulder, to the restaurant owners in Boulder. And my husband and I put in a bid and we were really fortunate that we won the bid and sort of this has become the foundation or the, the cornerstone of everything that we've ever done since. So. It's, we were, we're very, very lucky to have been chosen to do this. And it's so right up our alley. As I said, he has a degree in architecture and I in um, anthropology. So it's just been such a great way to bridge those, that idea of cross-cultural arts and cuisine and plants and teas and all of those things. You know, it's, it's an endless source of interest for both of us. Can we walk around and you can point things out to me that Absolutely. maybe not everybody knows that, are, that have interesting histories sure. behind it? Well, let's start with this right here. What corner of the building? This would we be are, like the... We are now at the bar in the uh, southeast corner and we're looking at one of the contemporary paintings by artist Kadir Rakimov. Um, which is set into a panel of carved plaster called Gonch. And the Gonch is a very ancient style of decor in Central Asia. And basically it's an ancient Persian art style. So you'll see it all through Iran, um, Uzbekistan, T Tajikistan. The Gonch was carved here in Boulder, actually, the panels were created in my garage and then brought here and then finalized, finished, touched up here. Um, it was a very, it was a couple month long project for Kadir to do that. But what's really interesting about his paintings is they're so contemporary. So it really juxtaposes this contemporary style of painting with this very, very ancient style of plaster carving. This painting, the paintings came to the United States. He brought them with him and they were rolled up. So he had to re-stretch them when he got here. And he did that in my backyard. And this particular one on the back of it has the footprints of my dog, Pete. And because uh, Pete ran across it in, with muddy footprints. And you know, of course I was mortified, but Kadir laughed and said, oh no, it's okay. This is a collaboration between me and Comrade Pete. So at the time, uh, yeah, Comrade Pete. So that's written on the back of this painting, which I, you know, I find endearing, of course, my dog, <laughs> who's no longer with us. Kadir is a very well-known artist living in Moscow. He was born in Tajikistan, but he, um, he has paintings all over the world, including in museums in Russia. So you can see that they're super contemporary. They have a lot of abstract references to the sea and to other kinds of food so basically in this very almost industrial style of uh, but also focusing on the abundance that uh, that earth gives us in different ways you can see like that one over there has fruits and um, just there's fish and there's just all kinds of interesting um, 
but also, you know, not in that beautiful, flowery, it really, really differs from the rest of the decor of the tea house, which is also about the Garden of Eden. You can see that this art style in the ceiling, which is all hand-carved, hand-painted, um, hand-designed, put together without any power tools or any nails or anything. It fits together sort of like Legos. That was all um, completed in Hujan, Tajikistan, and then shipped here by about a team of about eight different painters. And as you look at the stylization of it, it's, it's reminiscent of the Garden of Eden. That's very imp important in Persian culture, the idea of the garden and the abundance of the earth. And we see that same motif represented again in these carved columns. These cedar columns, what's really interesting about them is they're very large and there's not a lot of big trees like this in Tajikistan. So these actually came from the forests of Siberia. At the time, the forests of Siberia were, this is a story that I've been told, I actually don't, I wanna give a little bit of a disclaimer that. Um, it's it, lore. It's lore, there you go, um, yes that the Soviet Union would only use this, this cedar for military purposes. So they had to ship these cedar um, trees to also to Hojen to create these, um, these very amazing, huge cedar columns. They are two pieces. You can see on this one, this where it's kind of started to split a little bit because of our dry Colorado air. But they, like this was one side of it, this is one side of it, and then the center is a um, steel beam, and that's what actually holds the tea house up. So these are, these are, and then they, there's footers that go into the ground, and you can see that, the architecture of that in the museum. There's some of the, the drawings of that. The museum Sarah Martinelli references is the Museum of Boulder. In April, the museum inaugurated an exhibit called The Story of the Boulder Dushanbe Tea House, 25 Years of Global Friendship. Hi, my name is Elizabeth Nosick. I am the curator of collections and exhibits at the Museum of Boulder. Nosick says the exhibit in the museum's lodge space is the result of a community curation process. We do usually about a two-month to three-month turnaround with these exhibits, and organizations or individuals from the community have the opportunity to bring a concept or a passion that they want to share with the community in an exhibit form to the community. And this is the Tea House's efforts to do that. And I'll have to say we really worked on them to participate because it's their 25th anniversary. and. Um, we have staff members who absolutely love the tea house, and I have become one of them now that I'm here. And I had to go there a number of times to get to the right person. And luckily and fortunately for me, they gave us Sarah. And Sarah, has, Sarah and Nate did the behind-the-scenes vision for the exhibit and have done just a phenomenal job. We're so happy to be in partnership with them to be able to tell the story of the tea house and help them begin their celebration of 25 years. Let's take a quick walk around this room and check out the exhibit. Okay. And for listeners who aren't seeing any of this, if you could perhaps narrate a bit of what we're seeing. So one of the wonderful things about Tajikistan is the textiles. And of course, Tajikistan was part of the Russian communist um, USSR. And when they won their freedom, things changed. So you see in the center, um, we have 
three mannequins holding robes and um, coats. And in the center, you see a plant-based robe that was from pre-communist rule, pre-Russian connection. The striped piece that is there is showing um, the colors that are a little more manufactured, a little more modern, as a, is the pink banner on the side. You also see the very vibrant hats that are on display as well. We have some more textiles showcased here and rugs. We have some urns and necklaces and earrings that are absolutely glorious. They're just so beautiful in their detail. Very intricate filigree. Mm -hmm. And then we look and we have a painting. And one of the reasons I like this particular painting and want to point it out is it's a contemporary painting. So you have the traditional floral motifs and some um, geographic ge geometric shapes that look very good. But then you have a modern painting that is a little more um, in keeping with the Western world. And so that you can see the evolution of the art in Tajikistan as you look in the tea house. And Tajikistan was once part of the Persian Empire, so you very much note those influences. And what you were referring to over here, the juxtaposition of carved plaster, which is something that you can see gives that three-dimensionality to the interior of the tea house. And we're looking at pieces um, that are showcasing some of the details that were happening in the tea house as they built the tea house. And you're seeing people on um, inside building the tea house, a number of photographs showing people building the tea house. And we have on display tools that were used for doing that. And the tools themselves are beautiful. They are inscribed. They have detail on the, on the iron uh, of the blade that shows a little special care. The exhibit at the Museum of Boulder also includes detailed architectural drawings, Tajik pillows that will go to the tea house, and a unique timeline. Sarah also developed a timeline that talks about how long it took to do the tea house, but then also put it into context with what was happening all around the world as we were struggling to, to build this simple tea house and the challenges the world gave us as we were trying to do that. It starts off with the Space Shuttle Challenger mm -hmm. being launched for the first time. Then it goes into the Reagan's second term and Gorbachev. And so you see a, a bit of a, a sketch of U.S.-USSR relations at the time, but also some very uniquely American issues like the Columbine High School shooting or the terrorist attacks of 9-11 and the Boston Red Sox defeating the Colorado Rockies. So there's a little bit of everything. Um, Sarah also um, made sure that the textiles were well represented, that there's a menu of the tea house that you can look at while you're here. And there's also some wonderful brochures that allow you to see how you can participate or um, enjoy the tea house yourself. Back at the Boulder Dushanbe Tea House, operator and steward Sarah Martinelli points out the craftsmanship in the hand-carved cedar columns and how learning to make peace with the wear and tear has been a process and required a balance. One of the things about the tea house is that it's meant to be used. And this is something that I've really kind of come to terms with, with lots of different things in my life, that the beauty is where you see the use. So the things like, you know, where we see it get chipped up or we see it get rubbed, the, it's amazing that 
things even have lasted 25 years, but we just came back from Scotland where, you know, staircases are worn away. And that longevity or that sort of historic use by so many people is one of the things that really fills things with magical energy to me. So I try to see all of those little imperfections as adding to the beauty of the tea house, except when, you know, you can see that we've done a few things to mitigate what we can um, with some of the plaster. It's just getting touched too much, so we did put that um, plexiglass on the bottom. But we don't do much. In fact, we look at it often and say, what do we do? How do we clean this without um, destroying it? And uh, that's why in, I, I think it was maybe 2018 or 19, we did land, have the interior of the tea house landmarked so that everything is really well thought out before anything happens because it's, um, it's just such a treasure that it's easy to make a mistake. And that way a lot of people have something to say. We've had a couple different times, we've had people come over from um, Tajikistan to help touch up the exterior of the building. We have not really used any American artists to do that. So when, you know, the, the interior ceiling has held up really well, but the exterior ceiling has had um, definitely one full renovation and we'll, we have an artist coming back probably in 2024 to do some more. And you can see it more on the outside where it gets weathered. So let's walk around a bit more. Okay. So tell me about the tables, the, or at least these tables that kind of have okay, an interesting... So the, all, of the ta- all of the tables in the tea house, my husband and I made um, while the tea house was in construction. My father-in-law, who recently passed, was a um, carpenter, and he did, he made the bar, and like all of these sort of accessory, like the, that over there, uh, that screen, that, the display case there, this display case here all of these cases in the bar um, and then my husband and I did the, the, the uh, all the tables the ones with the tiles in them are were made by a local artist named April Lisa Snyder and she worked with the original artists in 1998 who were visiting to do the exterior tiles to learn some of these design motifs in order to set do these tables um, and then you can see on the, the woodworking, like this was carved here by the, the artisans who were here at the time of construction. So this is sort of like a, a collaboration again between our American artists and the Tajik artists. What else is, has a story behind it that you'd like to show me? Well, we can see. walk around. The, so I think probably my favorite thing about the tea house is this central fountain. So again, you know, as we spoke of before we started talking, you know, understanding the context of the context of history and what was happening at the time, um, and even what's happening now, is is really important when you t- to understand the relationship of this Central Asian tea house and how it relates to an American tea house. So at the time, again, it was a Russian, a lot of people think it's a Russian tea house because it was part of the Soviet Union, but it's really very Persian in style. And Tajikistan was the very, very eastern periphery of the Persian Empire until it was annexed by the Soviet Union. So a lot of these, all of this art style that you see in here is um, completely Persian. 
and Central Asian. But long, the predominant religion in that area is also Islam. And so as a woman, you know, I was kind of in that American mindset of, well, you know, what does that mean? And it's right next to Afghanistan. Um, Tajikistan is much more liberal than Afghanistan, but originally we were told that in Tajikistan women didn't really go to the tea houses. It was for men only. So there was a little bit of that American feminist first part of me that was like, I don't know about this, you know. So when they opened this, they opened these the boxes that these sculptures were in. There's seven life-sized hammered copper sculptures of women in the central fountain of the tea house. And those seven sculptures are um, representing a, a poem by a very famous Persian poet um, called The Seven Beauties. And the, in the poem, the poem was written around 1100, in that sort of that period, 1140, or I don't want to get too technical. Do you remember the name of the, the poet? The poet's name is um, Nizami Ganjavi. And the name of the poem is the Haft Pakir, and part of it is about this story with the seven beauties. So it's an epic poem, you know, kind of like think about it like the Odyssey or the Iliad. So in per, it's a Persian epic poem. It's very long, and um, in the poem, the the Shah Bahram. Basically, it's about the the king who he he falls in he love with these seven beauties from all over the world from different cultures like there's a Russian one and a Chinese one and a Persian one and an Indian one and he marries them all and bring and builds a home for them all and then in the poem he goes to each one of them and visits them and they tell him a story through which is an allegory for how to be a good ruler and a good king and a good person and the for me personally, what was so eye-opening or, or kind of hit me so much was, number one, it's really unusual in that culture for women to be in positions of advising men or for women to be the ones, I mean, of course we always know that in reality they are, but you know, in their literature this was, and, it, and, it, and in my studies I've learned it actually was really unique. It was one of the first times in their literature where um, they did show that, you know, that sort of strength behind the throne or, you know, the woman behind the man kind of thing, but where women were holding these really profound truths and imparting those to him. So that gave me a sense of balance that I, I personally really needed as, a, as an American woman to, and I think they're incredible. Like, they're, they're definitely my favorite, favorite part. Listeners, if you are just tuning in, I'm speaking with Sarah Martinelli, caretaker, steward, <laughs> operator of the Dushanbe Tea House, the Boulder Dushanbe Tea House. And we are looking back on its 25 years thus far and into the future. Where do you see things going in the next 25 years? Gosh, you know, that's a big question that we think about a lot. Um, I'm still young, so I think I've got 25 more years in me. I was pretty young when we started this. Um, we also have three children, all of whom are involved in our business. 
our daughter is the uh, director of events for 3D Concepts, so, but she also does all the um, large events here at the Tea House. Our son is the farmer of our farm where we grow food and herbs for teas and food for the menu. And then our third son is in marketing. And we just had our first grandchild who um, we've kind of made a big deal of. It'll be the, the fourth generation of Martinelli's and hopefully someday she'll be running it. Um, it we, we would love for our family to continue as stewards of the tea house. It's really, really hard to imagine it not being that way. Um, Can we take a peek behind the scenes? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're going into the we're going into like the kitchen area. So we've talked about what what is visible to the patrons, but we're going to see what's going on behind. So the kitchen itself is a little bit small for the amount of business that we do. And it is not decorated, and it is not ornate. Decorated. So the, the auxiliary building, which is the kitchen, was designed by my husband Lenny um, during the original process. And again, a little bit short-sighted and not understanding how popular the tea house would be or how big it would become. So um, the kitchen could probably be about three times bigger. This is our chef. He's making sure everybody's doing everything great. Right, guys? Yeah. Yeah. Even to the point of we have like this is our tiny little office, so it's about the size of a closet. And we have some storage downstairs. We have some storage under the museum. You know, in retrospect, the, this support buildings would have been much much larger. But um, we have made it work for 25 years. So mostly because we have these awesome dudes. Yeah, you underestimated the success it would have. We definitely, you know, we had this idea that it was going to be like a little tea house, like a coffee shop or something. So when we first opened, the day that we opened was, we were, you know, I was like 27 years old. And there was dignitaries here from Washington, D.C. and from Tajikistan. And, you know, we had this big event out front. And I, I was looking at pictures when we did the museum thing. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I was like a baby. I had no idea, you know, and I really had no concept of what was happening. But I remember explaining early on to a reporter in the first years that it felt like we, I was on a runaway horse and I was just holding on for dear life because I had no idea what we were doing. But now we've got it down, I think. Well, not down, but pretty good, right? Got a flow. Yeah. <laughs> You are listening to A Public Affair on KGNU-FM 88.5 Boulder, KGNU-1390 Denver. I'm your host, Shannon Young. Today we are getting a tour of the landmark Boulder Dushanbe Tea House with its longtime operator, Sarah Martinelli. The Tea House celebrates its 25th year anniversary this week. One of the most impressive things about the Tea House is the, is the Rose Garden. So again, going back to that idea of the Garden of Eden, the importance of gardens, and the way that gardens, like garden as paradise is, is kind of the idea. The Rose Garden here is um, completely managed by the Boulder Rose Society and um, Michael Brunner, 
they don't let me touch the gardens at all. I did in the beginning just a tiny bit, but um, they were like, get out of the gardens. And I'm a certified medical herbalist, so, you know, I, I was like, oh, okay. I don't know anything about roses. But we have over 80 different varietals of um, heirloom roses, meaning that they're on their own rootstocks, which was really important. They, the rose is believed to have originated in Persia. So that was a, when the, the landscape architects were doing the plan for this, they really wanted to do roses, but nobody expected it to be the way that it is. Right now, you can see they've already come in and done their annual pruning back, but in the middle of the summer, it's just unbelievably incredible. And there are, so it's its own little museum piece in my mind. You can also see that we have 25-year-old grape vines. Um, you rarely see that because most people grow grapes to make wine, and uh, so they cut them back, but we, we left it. I think it looks beautiful the way that it is. I like the vine more than the grapes. The grapes fall and make a mess. <laughs> um, and then you can see on the, the exterior, the other big sort of thing of the tea house is these exterior panels. Um, these are tile mosaic panels that uh, you can you can kind of see like how they are put together. There's, they're done in small pieces. And I think they might be one of my, my favorite, I don't know, one of the things I really love about them. Each one is different. Uh, each one has, at the very top you can see that ewer. Um, that ewer is very important in Persian culture because it, it, they use it to wash their hands with sacred water before any religious ceremony or important thing or important date before so, they pray. So ewer is like a, a, a vessel, like a mm -hmm. kind of a, an urn. Yeah, it's like a, it looks like a, like a like a water pitcher or something but it it, it is a water pitcher but it's specifically for sacred things and i love the butterflies again another sort of indication to the uh the paradise gardens and then each one is different these ones up front have grapes which was probably one of the reasons that we we opted to do the grapes up here but as you go around you'll see different fruits and different um styles on the the exterior panels, those were all done by an artist, Viktor Zablotnikov, and I think they're super cool. Sarah Martinelli, operator of the Boulder Lushanbe Tea House. Something that had called my attention the first time I visited this tea house, so I believe it's an apricot tree. A what? An apricot tree, if I'm not mistaken. Over here. Oh, it's right here next to this plaque. I don't think we've ever gotten an apricot off of that. <laughs> but it is an apricot tree, and it says on the 23rd of March of 2006, we commemorate the groundbreaking. Held this date in Bishan Bay for a reciprocal gift of a cyber cafe from the citizens of Boulder to our sister city. And then it's in Cyrillic as well. Yeah. So we, our reciprocal gift back to them was, um, was a cyber cafe. Basically, the idea was that after the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991, Tajikistan went into um, a lot of years of civil war as they were trying to sort of get their feet back under them. And so they were a little behind in being, you know, the whole tech movements, getting connected to the internet, that those sort of things that were really moving quickly in more developed countries. So it was decided that the best gift to give them would be a cyber cafe where they could have the ability to access the internet and um, that was designed by a local architect 
um, and then brought over, was built in Duchambe in 2006. Now that they've, I mean, they you know, leaps and bounds now that their development of their country. Um, the cyber cafe is mostly being used as a um, learning center uh, from English language and other topics of learning. I think it's not quite as much about internet connection because you know they all have cell phones now. And um, for me, when we first got the tea house, you know, I did a deep dive into Tajik culture at the time in 1998, and really haven't done that again until now, 2023, until 25 years later. And for me to really see the growth of their of their own culture and their own and and their their country has been really really fascinating because in my mind it kind of stopped in 1998 but it didn't and one of the things that's so wonderful about the area is that since they've regained independence they've all all meaning like Tajikistan and Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan and they've reclaimed their traditional cultural arts and crafts and they found global markets for those with the new sort of international globalization of the world and and that to me is so great like just that people from all over the world are now seeing what they do there what they make and loving it and wanting it and creating these outlets for them you know an economic um, opportunity for them and that, that, you can see a lot of that at the museum exhibit if you go look at that like the jewelry and the textiles and the clothing and the it's really great as we head back into the tea house from its patio, Sarah Martinelli explains how the learning curve of opening the business led her down the path to agriculture. I'm a, as I said, I'm a certified medical herbalist. And so when we started the tea house, um, I actually knew a lot about plants, but not that much about tea. So went into a deep dive about tea and um, Again, you know, contextually, when we started the tea house, the internet was barely starting. I remember, you know, I had AOL, and I only had it because I was in art school. So, you know, if I did, nobody had that. I didn't have a cell phone. So, learning about tea wasn't that easy. I had to reach out to uh, vendors and importers and actually get to meet people who would teach me about tea and pretty quickly decided, okay, I want the tea house to have really fine teas and be um, special. You know, I, I don't want it to just serve, you know, some other brand of tea. So I learned all about tea. Um, we now import, it, it's so different now, you know, because you can just, some of our teas we literally buy right from the person who grows it in China. So not only has American culture changed, but um, Chinese culture has changed and their ability to do business with us and to contact us and to so we we buy tea once a year we buy huge amounts of tea we each one is hand selected most of our flavored teas or blends are blended by me well not really by me they're my recipes are blended by my team um, we and they're exclusive to us here at the Boulder Tea House the tea, we have the Boulder Tea Company, which is our tea company that supplies the tea house that's located out in Louisville. Um, and it has a big online catalog, so you can buy all of our teas and all of our teaware online as well. 
And then in 2010, we bought Three Leaf Farm, which is um, in Lafayette. It's a 10-acre farm. We grow organic produce for the restaurants and herbs for the tea. We didn't grow that much herbs before COVID, but with COVID, we started having some supply chain issues on herbs that we really needed for the teas. So now we grow them at the farm as well. So that's kind of, so that kind of brings in our very sort of boulderite, you know, energy into the into the tea house is knowing that a lot of things are locally grown, locally produced. Everything's produced in pretty small batches, so that um, we, we're not producing, you know, a year's worth of anything at a time. Really, we try to keep pretty small. But the other thing about that we've learned through 25 years is that the majority of people visiting the tea house may not they're not really visiting the tea house because they want tea. So it's an opportunity for them to learn something new. So if you kind of liken it to a wine list, what I've tried to do is create, put selections in our catalog that are varietally correct. So for example, again, it's easier for me to relate it to wine. If, if you drink Sauvignon Blanc, you know what Sauvignon Blanc tastes like. You have an idea of what that flavor profile is. And so if you order it, that's kind of what you're expecting. So that's what we do here, is if you order this tea, this tea guanyin that we're drinking, it, ha it has a profile that a tea expert would know. I want people who are visiting the tea house to have the opportunity to taste what is varietally correct. And while sometimes we have over 100 teas, but our sort of main catalog teas, our main line is, I would say, very varietally correct. You know, if it's, it comes from the region that it's supposed to come from, if it's a, if it's a Darjeeling, it's going to be from Darjeeling. Uh, you can't call it Darjeeling if it's not from Darjeeling. But this one, for example, Tiguanyin actually is about the style of production, but it originated in a specific area in China. So that's where we, we get it from that area, for example. Um, anyway, so yeah, try this, see what you think. Um, Sir Martinelli of the Boulder... Dushanbe Tea House. Is there anything else that you would like to add that we haven't already discussed? It, it was very interesting as we were working on the museum exhibit and we were, we were interviewing people for our documentary, people that had been involved in the Tea House project and the, um, and the uh, construction of the building and how there's something special about this place that kind of gets to you and it has its own little magical energy that I think people in Boulder want to share that with their visitors, they want to share it with their families and we just feel so grateful and fortunate to be able to be stewards of that and to be a part of that. Um, I can't think of anything that would have suited me and my husband more, you know, as a sort of our life journey, you know, so I love it. One last question. There are plans for a 25th anniversary party. Tell me about that. That will be on the weekend of the 20th and the 21st. We'll be having an outdoor marketplace. We have a couple of artists coming over from Tajikistan who are going to be doing art exhibits of original paintings. So that will be nice. Um, we're having a Tajik-themed afternoon tea service, which is a little bit of a kind of a, a uh, fusion of um, 
European style and Central Asian style. They don't usually have that afternoon tea service the way uh, Europeans do, but we're going to do it in the afternoon. It's going to be the same kind of service with the tablecloths, but it's going to be all Tajik treats instead of English treats. And then we'll have a... Uh, we have, are serving a four-course Tajik dinner on Saturday evening. Both the tea and the dinner are reservations only, so if you're interested, please give us a call and make a reservation. And, yeah, we look forward to seeing everybody. Well, thank you very much, Sarah Martinelli of the Boulder Duchambe Tea House. That's it for today's visit to the Boulder Duchambe Tea House. Thanks to Tea House steward Sarah Martinelli and to Elizabeth Nosek of the Museum of Boulder. And thanks to you for listening. I've been your host, Shannon Young. We're going to go out with the music of Tajik pop singer Madina Aknazarova.